0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Monroe Method Clancast. I am, of course, Jason Monroe, and this is episode four. Now, as ever, when I get to this point um, on a Friday, because it's Friday today and I'm actually recording this ahead of time for a change, I put up a post in our group and I ask for suggestions on topics to talk about. Now, I've read through them all and I feel that if I cover the two things I'm going to cover is probably going to cover a lot of the other things because there were questions that were kind of related to it. So I'm going to start at the end with the last comment that came in that was from Rebecca. She posted it just two hours ago. So podcast question, does it matter when we eat? Straight away, I'll say yes, but not for the reasons you think, as with most things. Might sound like an odd question, it's not. It comes off the back of the slimming club mentality of breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. When I have been in diet mode, I try to adhere to the above, to keep my metabolism active, not a thing. My natural eating rhythm always leads me to eating a lot less in the morning and more towards the evening. I find that when I try to ensure breakfast is eaten, it does not really affect my feeling of fullness in the evening. And I still want to eat a larger portion of food later in the day. Yeah, what you eat for breakfast shouldn't have any influence on what you eat later on. Um, We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, Should caloric, calorific, yeah, caloric would be the correct pronunciation, I think. Should caloric load be spread through the day or just listen to our bodies? Just putting brackets at the end, I think I know the answer. You probably do, but you want to hear it from me. That's the difference, right? So, does it matter when we eat? Yes, it does. But not for the reasons you think. And what I mean by that is, most people think that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, we have to kickstart our metabolisms, we... We have to somehow get involved in bodily processes that, for some reason, that when we become adults, we may, we just take on the responsibility of them. But yeah, let's talk about it a bit of it. So in your case, when would it matter to you when you eat? So important for you, especially when it comes to fat loss. So when when we're trying to lose fat, we need to consume fewer calories than we are burning, right? That's it. But we need to find a way of doing it that we can adhere to and stick with. Now, I don't know how many calories you're on, Rebecca, without going in and checking. But let's just say 1,500 calories, right? If you are awake for 1,600... 1,600? If you're awake for 16 hours in a day, then that 1,500 calories has to do you from 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. Nah, no, I didn't get that right because that's not 16, is it? I need to take 8 hours off. So 8am until midnight. So let's change it to 6am until 10pm. Um, <laughs> so yeah. That has to do you 16 hours basically. Now if you are someone like me. I am a habitual breakfast skipper. It is 13.25 right now on Friday the 21st. I have not had anything to eat today yet. Um, not intentional. I just... You know, the way that my mornings go is I get up, I get the kids sorted, we get, I get them to sco- uh, one to school, one to nursery, then I take the dog a walk, then I need to get to my desk and start doing check-ins. I've got a busy morning. I can easily not have breakfast. Some days I'll need a lunch, some days it'll be easier for me to skip. I've gotten to that point in the day now where I will skip my lunch. Um, and it's going to help me because we, ha- we are planning to have a takeaway tonight. So... Um, In that way, I've kind of inadvertently managed my calories for the day because it both suits me, but it also fits in with the fact that I'm going to have a kind of higher calorie dinner. Um, So yeah, I mean, if I introduced a breakfast, it would serve no purpose in my case, just as it hasn't served any purpose in your case. When might it be a good idea to introduce a breakfast? Uh, So let's say that someone wakes up in the morning and skips breakfast because like me they have the mad morning rush but they're also not hungry, they're not really thinking about it but then they get to work, they sit down at their desk, they switch on the computer and they start to think about food and they actually start to feel hungry. Now in that instance that person might then go to make a cup of tea, there may be biscuits in the office and you know 10 minutes later they're 10 digestives, 10 custard creams, insert biscuit of choice here. Because they've been hungry and there's been food in sight. So in that case, you would say to that person, I think it would, even I know you're not hungry in the morning. However, the strategic introduction of a breakfast, an intentional breakfast is going to help you avoid this. You know, people have this, there is this kind of widely bandied um, phrase of, you know, just eat when you're hungry and stop eating when you're full. Now, that can be helpful, but not all of the time. Because we can also eat ahead of predicted hunger. How many times have you, you know, maybe had a meal and said, oh, do you know what, I've got a busy day today. I'm going to have a bigger breakfast because I probably won't get lunch. You've probably done it in the past. You don't realise it, but that was strategic eating you were eating ahead of a, a predicted lack of food um, or not being in a position where you'll be able to grab something or whatever the case may be. And that is the int- the intentional introduction of a, a meal or an extra meal or extra food ahead of predicted hunger. Um, and that's the same thing here. So if someone is getting to mid-morning and they are starting to graze, then that could be avoided. And that generally has a negative outcome, right? Because the person wasn't hungry, now they're eating all this stuff and it's just annoyed them. Now they want to try and force themselves to skip lunch, but then they start grazing in the afternoon again, then they're super annoyed with themselves. And all of that shit could have been avoided by simply choosing to have a breakfast, even though you're not hungry. It is a strategical thing. I know I'm not hungry right now, but I'm going to be hungry in a couple of hours. And in a couple of hours, I won't be in the position to eat the way that I can right now. That's why I keep going to the biscuit drawer or cupboard or tin or whatever in the office. You know, relate that to your own kind of work, home scenario, whatever it may be. So, yeah. And, and, and yeah, the the 16-hour thing, when, you know, 16 hours to spread 1,500 calories is doable. However, if you're in a calorie deficit and you're trying to lose fat and you start your eating at 12 o'clock and go to bed at 10, now we have a 10-hour window where 1,500 calories might be consumed. So someone eating all day starting from breakfast time might be a 300-calorie breakfast, a 400-calorie lunch, and a 500-calorie dinner plus a few hundred calories for snacks. Whereas someone eating later in the day, I mean, it's basically intermittent fasting, right? One day, you know, people have been skipping breakfast since the dawn of time and then one day someone came up with the word intermittent fasting, a fancy way of saying skipping breakfast. Just another way to sell diets, to sell books, to sell fucking apps for tracking these things. People use apps to track the skipping of breakfast. People love to overcomplicate things. Um... But yeah, when we move it to the the latter part of the day and we eat from 12 to 10, then that 1500 calories only has a 10-hour window. So that could then be a 600 calorie lunch, a 700 calorie dinner, and then a couple of 100 calories for snacks. You you may feel feel more satisfied by having more filling meals than doing it the other way. Whether you eat breakfast or not doesn't determine how hungry You're going to be at dinner time. Just with your comment there about, you know, I've I've introduced breakfast, but it's not um, made a difference later on. I wouldn't expect it to in that case. Um, What was the next part? Oh, yeah. When I have been in diet mode to keep my metabolism active, there is this crazy notion that for some reason, when we mature, when we become adults, we have to take on the micromanaging of our bodily functions, of our bodily processes. Um, We do not have to manually control our lungs. We do not have to manually control our bladders. We do not have to manually control our metabolism. We don't need to kickstart our metabolism by eating something. We don't need to kickstart our lungs with a big massive breath. We don't need to kickstart our bladder with a big drink of water. Think of your metabolism... Your metabolism goes all the time, right? And it's a complex thing. It covers many different processes in the body. But think of your metabolism as when you switch on your car, when you start the ignition, when you turn the key or press the button if you've got a fancy car, or even if you're outside it with an app on your phone and you can start your car like my brother-in-law can and defrost your windows and switch on your heat seats and stuff. Um... It's like starting your car and then doing nothing. When your engine is idling, it's just ticking over. That's what your your metabolism is—this underlying current that goes all the time. Because remember, if we don't eat anything in a day, our body still burns, It's still burning calories. Sorry, I didn't mean to say eat. If we don't do anything in a day, our body is still burning calories. We have a minimum level. It's called your BMR if you've heard of BMR, basal metabolic rate. It's basically the number of calories you would burn at rest. So we put the calculations into a BMR calculator. And if you lay on the floor fast asleep for 24 hours solid, it's the minimum number of calories your body would burn just keeping you alive and ticking over. The number of calories your metabolism would run on just keeping you ticking over. In the same way that when we start our cars and don't do anything, the car will tick over at a rate and use a certain level of fuel. Now, we do not need to intentionally eat to make our metabolism do anything. All we are doing is when we eat, we give our metabolism more to do. We're not kickstarting it. We're giving it something to do. In the same way, way that when you put your foot on the accelerator you're not kickstarting your engine you're giving it something to do so when we consume a meal and we digest it then our metabolism increases because it has to because we've given it an energy an energy expensive task to do does that make sense Um, So we do not need to take manual control of our metabolism. We do not need to give it anything to do. In fact, by giving it something to do, we are in actual fact consuming calories. Which just doesn't make any sense. Oh, I need to make my metabolism. I'm going to eat something. Okay, I thought your goal was to lose weight. Oh yeah, but I also need to keep my metabolism going. No, you don't. You don't need to do a single thing to your metabolism. Um, anyway, let me read the rest of that. So should caloric load be spread through the day? If you are someone like, that, like I suggested earlier on who skips breakfast and then is grazing all day, yes, your calories should be spread throughout the day with more structure. In your instance, Rebecca, no, your calories shouldn't be spread through the day because that doesn't work well for you specifically, individually. What What's better for you is the way that you're doing it. So it's one of these ones where, you know, everybody's looking for the best way to do things. And the best way is not some um, generic uh, coverall that applies to absolutely everyone. You know, people are always looking for the best diet. If there was a best diet, we'd all be doing it. And none of us would have any weight issues and we'd all be super healthy and live to 125. It doesn't exist. There is no best way. There is no um, generic best way. However, there will be better and worse ways for each person as an individual to approach things. So, yeah, the last point on this is that, you know, even our bodies don't really work in, a, in exactly in a 24-hour cycle. You know, time is a human invention. But it makes the world around us easier to understand and more quantifiable. So... If you think of it this way, let's say you are burning 2,000 calories in a day. Now, let's say you have a 1,500 calorie breakfast and you eat nothing for the rest of the day. Your body will run off the energy from that 1,500 calories of food all day until it runs out. Until you have burned 1,500 calories. This is a very simplistic way of explaining it, but it helps get a point across. So those 1500 calories will run out and then your body will switch over to running off your body fat stores. And it will use 500 calories worth of body fat until it reaches your total calorie burn of 2000 for the day. And that's it. You have been in a 500 calorie deficit. Now, same example, 24 hours, except in this case, you eat nothing until dinner time. And for dinner, you have 1500 calories for dinner. So what happens there is you are in a deficit all day. Then you put in 1500 calories of energy and then you will then run off those 1500 calories. In that day, you have created a 500 calorie deficit. The only difference is you in one example, you've eaten them all in the morning and ran off them all day. In the other example, you've eaten nothing all day had your 1500 in the evening and then you'll then run off run off those calories you when I say run off I mean your body will run off it as a fuel your body will burn those through the night and into the next day until they run out and then you go back to body fat again that's how a calorie deficit works We create the conditions where we have an an overall negative energy balance so that every time the energy that we consume from food runs out, our body switches over to body fat. And it could be like, you have a 300 calorie breakfast and that lasts you until 11am. And then at 11am, you spend an hour in a deficit and then you have your lunch. And then you run off that till 3pm. And then you have your dinner at six and you spend three hours there in a deficit. And then you do you see what I mean? We're not always in a deficit during the day. There are periods where we are running off of the food that we consume. And then there are days where our fuel source switches over to body fat. How that happens across a day does not matter at all. We don't need to make sure we don't eat after 7pm. We don't need to restrict carbs. We don't need to do a single gosh darn thing to our metabolism. It is perfectly capable of looking after itself. So I hope that's been helpful. Next one is a big one. So let's do this. Now, Kirsty said, Is there such a thing as self-sabotage? Yes, there is. I've already read your question though, and that's not what this is though. So reaching a new, lo- new low number on the scales seems to ignite my urges to overeat. I experience similar, feeling- similar feelings when I'm relieved that a stressful event, a meeting, etc. is over. So it could be a s- celebratory feelings, but I wondered if subconscious self-sabotage really exists. Yes, it does. But that's not what this is. This is you rewarding yourself with food. So you are getting through a stressful situation and you are looking to give yourself a reward for getting through it. A reward for getting through it. Um, You are reaching a new low number on the scales and you are looking to reward yourself for achieving something and you want to use food to do it. Now, this is probably something you've done for a very long time. um, Something that comes from maybe a history of yo-yo dieting. Maybe it comes from, do you know what? I'm actually going to check on you in the group just to get your diet history to see if slimming world was something you mentioned back at the start because that would explain a lot because the reward mentality is absolutely rife at slimming clubs. Diet history started Weight Watchers From 19 and done various different things so yeah there is a slimming group background in there yeah okay so yeah I mean not necessarily it might not be the case but this can often come from the kind of slimming world weight watchers group mentality where people go they step on the scales and they go straight to the chip shop or straight to the Chinese on the way home to celebrate losing weight you know, and it's it's such a weird thing to do. It's like it's it's like what would be a good example? No, oh, I'm not sure. Okay. I can't think of a good comparison. Um But yeah, it's 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 an odd way to celebrate. Like celebrating underfueling your body by overfueling your body. You know, it's it's like the most counterproductive way to celebrate. Anyway, this comes... I would say that this is going to come from a, a somewhat poor relationship with some foods at least. And this is when we talk about, you know, giving ourselves unconditional permission to eat. Because when we don't give ourselves unconditional permission to eat, we then look for opportunities to create the conditions where we can fit these in. So... Let's say someone could would quite happily have a bottle of wine every night, but they don't. Because it probably wouldn't be great for them. They wouldn't be a pleasant person in work each day. They understand it's not great for their health, but at the same time, they would still love to do it. Because who doesn't love feeling a bit tipsy, right? But they don't. And instead, they create these conditions where they give themselves permission, i.e., Oh, I've had such a tough week. I've earned a bottle of wine. I've earned a gin and tonic. I deserve a drink. Um, I deserve a takeaway. And we create these conditions where we give ourselves permission to have these things. So I would imagine that the foods that you're rewarding yourself probably aren't full of protein and fibre. I'm just going to make the assumption, because we can't have a conversation about it, that the foods that you want to reward yourself with are the usual ones that we would, right? Cakes, sweets, chocolate, crisps, cheese and biscuits, whatever else, right? It will be very specific and individual to each person that's listening and to you as well, Kirsty. So yeah, this is one of those situations where you are looking for an opportunity to fit in this insert food here, where you know something that you may be trying to restrict, maybe something that that isn't featuring featuring regularly in your diet. But look, here's this opportunity. That, look, I've just hit a new low on the scales. Here is something that needs to be celebrated. And the default is: let's have that thing that I don't normally have. Let's have this. Let's have that. So, yeah, I don't think this is a self. Sabotage. I don't think this is self-sabotage self-sabotage is slightly different I believe that this is just coincidental in th- that you are rewarding yourself but you're rewarding yourself with food so it, on, the, on the face of it it might appear like you're sabotaging your prog- progress but I think it's probably going to come from using food as a reward so how do we get around that? Because here's the thing, a stressful week at work. What does a stressful week at work work and food, what do they have in common? Nothing. What relationship does food have to anything? What, do, what relationship does food have with boredom? If I wrote down on a piece of paper, boredom and food, why would the two of them aren't connected? One is something that we experience. The other thing is what we use to fuel our bodies. Stress and food have no relation. No, no, relationship, car journeys and food have no relation the only time these things start to link up together is when we put a person in the middle that makes the connection oh a car journey, let's take snacks oh I've had a hard week at work, let's have a takeaway, it's the person and how they are using that food to treat certain things seizing an opportunity to do something that you wouldn't normally do Um, Like, I'm having a takeaway tonight. And it's not because it's the end of the week or it's a celebration. It's just what we do. We have Gusto. We get four meals from Gusto, which does us Monday to Thursday. On Friday, we have a takeaway usually. And then at the weekend, we'll maybe eat out somewhere for lunch one day, um, but we'll get the shop in and then it'll just be back to eating the way we usually eat. It's not a reward. It's not a celebration. It's just... What we do on a Friday, we have a takeaway. Um, so, yeah, to dig to the bottom of this one, we need to say you know, if you want to reward yourself, then why does it have to be food? What other things could you reward yourself with? We had a check in, I did a check in recently with someone in the group that had been rewarding themselves with new clothes. You know, instead of having a takeaway or whatever the case may be, looking for food to reward themselves when I they were looking at milestones. Once I've lost ten pounds, I'm gonna go buy that thing that I want to get. If you see a new loan the skills, you could put a pound in a piggy bank. Reward yourself with that. Use it to buy new clothes at the end of your time. You could reward yourself by taking yourself for a walk. You could reward yourself with, I don't know, a pamper night. Make some time, you know, ask your partner to make sure, you know, put them on kid responsibilities like I do. My wife will be like, I'm having a bath tonight. And I'll know that means she wants peace and quiet two or three hours to herself. Cool. I know I understand the code now. We've been together long enough. I'm having a bath tonight. I know exactly what it means. I keep the kids out of the way and she goes and relaxes, rewarding herself after, it's usually a stressful week at work, um, with a bath. So the whole rewarding yourself with food things, it's going to come partly from a poor relationship with food. And you, you'll know it, that's the case because it's not a case of rewarding yourself with a you know a load of apples or a punnet of grapes or celery sticks. Those things might sound terrible. Who the hell is going to celebrate with those? Instead, you celebrate with the other foods, the ones that you don't have frequently the ones that you do feel differently about. You might not label them as bad, you might not call them junk, you might not call them rubbish or whatever, but you still think it because those are the ones that you want to use, the foods that are in that other other pile, not the good food pile, the other pile. So yeah, look for other ways to reward yourself. What you know, Find something that is specific and meaningful to you. That when this thing does happen, when I do see a new low in the scales, I'm going to do this. When I do get through that stressful meeting, I'll reward myself with a nice 10 minute walk to, to relax. Food is not the only coping, coping mechanism. You know, that's the problem. People use food as a coping mechanism for everything, for their whole lives. Eat when they're happy, eat when they're sad, eat when they're stressed, bored, tired, etc. It's a solution to a problem that we don't have. You'll hear me talking about that a lot. Using food to treat problems, you know, using it as a solution to a problem we don't have. Because what is food the solution to? Food's the solution to hunger. If hunger isn't the problem, then we're using the wrong thing for the wrong thing. Okay, part two of your question was dealing with impulse eating. My overeating orgies are much more controlled since starting Munro, but I still have issues of when I see a food, I really want to eat it. There and then. Usually it's the kids' sweets, chocolates, etc. If I need to go into that cupboard, but it can be a yogurt in the fridge or fruit in the bowl. I'm usually satisfied after eating it. And I'm trying to make all... Food's available as that has helped greatly with the binge eating urges. So you are making good progress with your relationship with food and making sure you are including everything. Having an inclusive diet, not a exclusive or restricted because that's when these conditions come in. I'm not going to have chocolate. I'm not going to have crisps. I'm not going to have that. But here is this opportunity. Stressful meeting's over. Um, new law on the scales. So what a great time to treat myself to something that I don't normally have. Um, that has helped great with my binge urges, but these impulse foods are not in my tracked food for the day. Any words of wisdom? Yes, actually. So impulse eating. Think of it this way: when when you put yourself into a calorie deficit, you are intentionally under fueling your body, and you are doing it to make your body start to eat itself. That's basically what it is, right? We eat a certain amount. And it's not enough for our demands. So our body then needs to tap into the reserve fuel tank body fat to make up the rest. It starts to eat itself. Now, you can imagine how your body feels about that. It does not want to eat itself. It doesn't like to eat itself. It would much rather this food kept coming in because it likes running off the food. It doesn't like to break itself down for energy. So when we get into a deficit... There are many things inside of us that change. We, you're not necessarily in the early stages, but once you've been in a prolonged deficit, you're kind of ancestral. Is that the word I want to use? These instincts that we have as humans that served a purpose hundreds of years ago, not so much now, start to come out. When you're in a deficit you will react more strongly to the sight, the sound someone talking about or maybe even like the sound of someone eating, the sound of a packet opening, the sound of a advert on the TV with a bottle of beer or a drink being poured. Um, you know, one, I, I think that something that many people struggle with in a deficit is that they then go and follow a bunch of food accounts on social media and it's like, yeah, you are actually trying to diet right now, yet you're exposing yourself. Visual visual exposure to all this incredible food. Like, how many of these videos, I'm going to make everyone hungry now talking about this, but how many videos do you watch on social media where, you know, someone's doing this recipe, it's a nice quick reel and at the end they go in for the money shot and it's like, they're, they're spooning the macaroni cheese and they're lifting it as slow as they can so you can see all the cheese connected and all of that stuff. In a deficit, imagine you were full, right? In fact, here's a better example. Have you ever went to the, the supermarket on an empty stomach and a full stomach? When you go on an empty stomach, you are looking at everything. You will bring home far more shit than had you went on a full stomach. My doorbell just went, I need to pause this. Okay, are we recording again? We are. <laughs> that was the postman. Um, So yeah, the difference between going to the supermarket on a full stomach versus going on an empty stomach. When you go on a full stomach, it's, you will make completely different choices. You will only really, really get what you want. You will not be lured in by the temptation of how great that sounds or how great that looks or how great you'll know that chocolate thing will taste versus when you go on an empty stomach everything looks amazing the mere thought of things looks amazing I know the difference when I go to the supermarket on a full stomach I get a completely different shop when I go and I am very hungry I will bring home desserts and stuff like desserts isn't generally something I would do but I get there especially in Aldi because when you go to Aldi um, our Aldi at least you walk in cereals are on the left big long cereal cereal bar nuts, seeds, crisps etc on the right hand side is coffee, tea jams, spreads and then boom bakery bit, cakes all the bread stuff etc I will, if I go on an empty stomach I'll bring home blueberry muffins maybe some kind of cakey biscuity thing when I go on a full stomach I just breeze past that stuff so this isn't just limited to other people it happens to me, a nutritionist as well it's how all humans are designed We have natural instincts to react to the sight, smell, sound, thought, etc. of food. And it comes from our hunter-gatherer days where food may have been scarce. So the mere sight of it, the mere thought of it triggered something and says, go eat, go eat. We need the energy. We need the calories. In today's world where food is available everywhere, 24-7, 365, Within walking distance of most people's houses, it's not something that serves us, okay? So when you're in a calorie deficit and your body's eating itself, you you can uh, develop a bit of a hyper-awareness. So you will react more to the sight of food, smell, sound, etc. Um, and if you already have these kind of underlying urges, then it doesn't really combine well. So the only thing you can do, really, is aside from doing what you're already doing by making sure you're including everything anyway, is change your environment. We need to create a goal supporting environment. I don't know if I've told this story on here or not. I know I have in the group a couple of times, but my wife, I'll tell it again, I'm getting deja vu, but maybe anyway. My wife followed, my wife when she started, when we moved into this new house last year, last August, no, 2022 now, August 2020, so it's been a year and a bit, almost a year and a half. My wife had a home account. She still does it, but she's not as, you know, into it as she was in the beginning. She followed all these other home accounts, and there was this woman on there who was always, it was a home account, but she always went on about her weight. And then my wife was showing me up, oh, look at her kitchen. Isn't that kitchen lovely with the breakfast bar? So here's this breakfast bar with these gigantic cocktail glasses you know the ones that you see in restaurants like we have an italian and they've got a giant wine glass and it's filled with um corks from the bottles that they open and then they have like i don't know it's like a giant martini glass type thing so this lady had these in her kitchen and they were on the worktop so they were big tall glasses at eye height giant things at eye level full of Skittles, jelly beans, jelly babies, Haribos. And in the same breath, talking about how she can't stop eating sweets, I'm like, fuck me, I wouldn't be able to stop eating sweets if the first thing I looked at was this massive fucking pick and mix counter, all you can eat pick and mix buffet I don't know if I've told it on here again, but you know, I went through a period of getting headaches because I hadn't been to the chiropractor for a while. I was getting headaches and I was having to go into the cupboard where in the kitchen that has all the paracetamol, etc. And I was going in there frequently. But what else is in there? My kids' sweets. So at night, they get their little plates with the four compartments and they pick a couple of things for each. They do it themselves. They know what uh reasonable portion looks like or my eldest does anyway my youngest is going to be a nightmare Um, that's in there right below it so it was like two paracetamol two Haribos every time I went in so our environment the way that we set things up in the home has a massive influence on these these urges If you are visually exposing yourself to foods while you are trying to eat less, then of course you are going to want to eat things. Of course you are going to feel urges. So the only thing we can do in that case is create an environment that supports our goals by moving the cupboard, like... If you, like you said, usually it's a kid's sweets and chocolates if I need to go into that cupboard. Now, what is it you're going into that cupboard for? Because I moved the medication. I moved the paracetamol. It's not in there anymore. I go to another cupboard that does not have food in it to get the medication. And that simple switch helped me kill that potentially unhelpful behaviour. Because I love Haribos, especially Tangfastics. They're the best ones you get. No argument. So yeah, what is it you're going into that cupboard for? You know, it could be they, that, th- those sweets in that cupboard. That is the only food thing in there. I could have moved them somewhere else, but I moved the medication somewhere else. So whatever it is you're going into that cupboard for, Kirsty, can the kids can the kids stuff be moved elsewhere? Because that's what it, th- these can have the potential to be mindless moments, and we want to disrupt these mindless moments. We want to have something that flicks that switch and says, "Whoa." I'm not doing this thing anymore. When you go into that cupboard by default, um, I had someone once who kept going into a drawer because this is where they kept a giant bar of chocolate. And every time they walked past it, they were taking two squares out. I'm like, move the fucking chocolate. Put it it somewhere else. Put it in the fridge. Put it in the, the vegetable drawer at the back. And when that person walked past that drawer, they were opening it out of sheer habit. Not because they wanted chocolate, because it had now become a habit. And they continued to open that drawer, but when they opened it and didn't see what they expected to see, it snapped them back and went, oh, I'm not doing that thing anymore. Chocolate isn't there anymore. So we create barriers and we disrupt these automated thought processes that start to happen by moving stuff around in the kitchen. Um, Fruit bowl. Do you know what? A fruit bowl would be one of the more helpful things, I would say, because... You know, people, another example is if someone has a glass jar of biscuits and they leave that next to the kettle. Um, and every time they make a cup of tea, they're having a biscuit because there is, it, it's basically on display in a shop window, right? This glass jar full of biscuits, you're standing there bored waiting on the kettle to boil. Yeah, why not pass the time with a digestive? That's a great idea. Why not pass the time with a custard cream? Why not have another one? And now I need to have one with my tea as well. So we can can make a big difference here by setting up a goal supporting environment, setting up an environment that doesn't facilitate overeating, that makes it less easy to overeat by taking away those visual cues that increase our desire to eat something. Um, It won't always be like this, but while you are while you are in a deficit and these kind of urges are being heightened as a result of your body eating itself and it not really wanting to eat itself, it would much prefer that you ate something to give it energy. Um, Yeah, making a temporary change can be really helpful. So yeah, I'm glad that your binge urges are reducing. This is probably coming from the work that you're doing on your relationship with food. So not feeling the need to binge on things that you're restricting. Not feeling the need to maximise every opportunity. Oh, I've already had a bit of chocolate. Might as well finish the whole bar. Might as well finish the whole bag. That kind of mentality. Because you're trying to quickly get through it all so you can go back to being normal again. Oh, I don't eat chocolate, but when I do, I just get it out of the way and then I I don't have it for a while. So yeah, I'm glad that that's improving. And what will be on here? 39 minutes. Let's see if there's something I can quickly cover. Uh, Morning. I would love to hear tips about staying focused on choosing healthier options when living with someone who isn't, especially if the other person is sitting there eating crisps, chocolates in the evenings. Yeah. Okay. So this has actually been on my mind quite a lot this past week because there's been a lot of, check-ins where people have been talking about discipline. Now, discipline, commitment, dedication, etc. You know, people saying, oh, I need to be more disciplined, as in, you know, I need to just stop myself from doing things that I want to do. Discipline has no place in nutrition. You know, you're looking for tips to stay focused on healthier options. Now, it's not necessarily my job to tell you that you need to stay focused on making healthier choices, whatever that might mean to you specifically. Like it's not my job or anyone else's job. In the same way that it's not my job to tell someone that they should be losing weight, that they should be taking the actions to lose weight. That's not anyone's place. If you want to make healthier options, then that's a you thing. If you want to lose weight, then that's a you thing. That's a goal that you have for yourself. And if that's your goal that you have for yourself, then you should want to make the choices that take you there. I mean, I'll expand on that more because it probably didn't sound great condensing it. So when people people will check in for me and say, I've lost motivation. Do you have any tips on getting motivated to lose weight again? And it's like, no, it's not up to me to motivate you to lose weight. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you're not motivated to do it, then that's fine. What I can do, though, is help you create some high-value goals that you want to work towards. So coming back to this one that Charlie's posted, I would love to hear tips about staying focused on choosing healthier options. Now, in that case, when when we talk about focus and things, we're talking about basically forcing ourselves to do something, right? And We're talking about willpower, basically. You know, forcing ourselves, making ourselves do something, depending on willpower, just to make a choice. That doesn't work. What we need to do instead is create a bunch of goals, high value goals, that make us want to take the actions to get us there. So in order for you to be focused on making healthier choices... You need to look beyond the choices. You need to look beyond the short term. What is it that this healthy choice, whatever it might mean to you, because we all have different ideas of what health is or what it should look like. What does this choice do for you? What is this choice taking you closer to? What is the result of this choice going to be? Well, you know, and, and that's why we have to create these high-value goals. Remember, weight loss is a shitty, boring, rubbish goal. Everybody wants to lose weight. Everybody. But it's an awful goal because there's no excitement, there's no urgency, there's nothing great about it. It's the same thing you've been trying to do for most of your adult life. It holds absolutely no value. Yes, you do want to do it, and yes, you would probably love to achieve it, But just saying that you want to lose weight is useless. Instead, you need to look at the end result and say, right, I want to lose weight. But let's go deeper. Why do I want to lose weight? Which areas of my life is specifically going to improve as a result of me losing weight? What is the world going to look like once I achieve this thing? What is it holding me back from doing now that I will then be able to do in the future? I want to be able to climb the stairs of my house without being out of breath. That's a great high value goal. I want to add years on to the end of my life by reducing, bringing my BMI down from 40 to 30 or 25. I want to be. I, I don't, you know. I want to be able to run around and play with my kids. I don't want to be that person putting my hand over my tummy and, and photos anymore. I don't want to be using my kids to hide my body in pictures. I don't want to be going through my phone at the end of the day and deleting all the pictures from our family day out that I hate. These are high value goals. These are incredibly powerful, incredibly incredibly powerful leverage, because when we have these outcomes that we want to achieve the process becomes much easier we don't need to be focused we don't need to be determined or dedicated or disciplined we wake up each day because we and we do the things because we want to do them because we want that picture we want that life that we've created we want to have more confidence in photos we want to have more family photos We want to be there to see our kids, grandkids and even great grandkids, if we're lucky enough, grow up. We want to add years on to the end of our life. We want to try and live a life free from illness and disease, etc. That's how you create a high value goal. That's how you take the things that you believe you need to do each day and turn them into things that you want to do each day. So when it comes to about tips on staying focused, it's not about staying focused. If you have to force yourself in any way, shape or form, then you you will never go the distance. Never. Because you're relying on willpower. And willpower is a rare commodity. And once it's gone, it's gone. Willpower isn't a strategy. Hope isn't a strategy. Forcing yourself just to do something isn't a strategy. Instead, we have to create this incredible outcome, we have to paint a picture of what the world will look like and that makes the process to get there much easier. That makes the choices much easier to make. Now the second part of that was um, when living with someone who isn't, who isn't, especially if the other person is sitting eating crisps and chocolate in the evenings. So <clears throat> why do you want to eat crisps and chocolate in the evenings? Ask yourself that question. Why is it? Because there's obviously some kind of suggestion here that this person is doing things that you want to be doing. So then the question you ask is, well, why do I want to do that? What am I going to get out of sitting eating crisps and chocolate at night? What goal is that going to take me closer to? What value will I get from eating crisps and chocolate at night? Now, that doesn't mean I should add this caveat. That that doesn't mean that you can't eat crisps and chocolate, right? But when you've had your dinner, when you're not hungry, when you're looking for you know, when you're just eating for no reason, then that's when you need to start questioning yourself. You know, do that do I want this? If you want it, have it. If it's something you want to do, have it. If it's not taking you closer to your goal, then own that as a choice. Yes, this isn't taking me closer to where I want to be, but I want to do it. That's fine but you're asking for, you know, how to stay focused on it. So it suggests that it's something you don't want to do, or maybe it's something you want to avoid. But at the same time, you're seeing someone else doing it and it makes you want to do it. So yeah, come back to the questions. What would you get out of doing that? What benefits? And this can, this you can do this with anything. Basically write down the pros, not necessarily the pros and the cons, but It is kind of the pros and the cons, but I don't wanna I don't wanna use that word. I wanna use other wording and I can't think right now. But what would it take you closer to and what would it In fact, what would this take me closer to is a great question. Because it's not just saying, is it helping you get closer to your goals? It's not just asking that. Because the answer is probably no, right? You've already done all your eating for the day, you're already satisfied, you're not hungry, however, you just want to have crisps and chocolate because someone else is. And that's us getting into the eating for no reason territory. So it's, it's not just saying, is it taking you closer to your goals? Will it help you achieve your goal? The answer will be no. Instead, ask yourself, what will this take me closer to? And that will be a really difficult one to answer. What, will this, what value will I get out of this behaviour? What value is this adding to my day? What will I get out of this? And when you start to question that, you'll be like, nothing. The only thing you'll probably be able to say is, oh, it'll taste nice. And that's it. And when you start to do that, you know, when when I talk about creating high value goals, we actually come at it from two angles. We don't just create a high value goal. Ah, that was the word I'm looking for. Devalue. We also look to devalue the behavior. So, You take a look to see what value will I get from it and then you want to devalue it. Uh, The example I use when we do the high value goals live chat is when we talk about alcohol. You know, when it's like, what are the pros? What value will you get from it? Oh, it's fun. It's it's relaxing. It's stress, de-stressing, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And what's the downsides? I wake up feeling struggles the next day, I'm crabbit, I'm probably not very nice to my kids, I'm terrible to be around, I don't really get a good sleep, I end up feeling more anxious and stressed than I was before I had a drink and we devalue it as a behaviour in the same way we can devalue this. And listen, this isn't just about, uh, this isn't for life, this is us talking specifically about being in a calorie deficit. Remember, We only have to make some short-term temporary changes while in a calorie deficit. So yes, you might not be able to eat crisps and chocolate at night just now within your calories because obviously we still need to be able to maintain a deficit to achieve the goal of fat loss. But in the future, once you do reach whatever your weight loss goal is, then yes, it might be realistic to introduce these things. It might be realistic to join in with your partner at night. If you want to, if you feel it's going to add value to your day or to your life um, or to your evening. But when we are in a calorie deficit, we need to make these short term changes to do the very thing that helps us get to to these goals. So, yeah, remember, and, and the last one, we'll wrap it up with this. The last one is. I spoke earlier about eating for no reason eating because other people eating is an awful reason to eat because it's just one more thing that we attach our eating to that isn't governed or regulated by our internal mechanisms our own hunger and satiety cues our own energy needs you know if you eat every time you're bored every time you're stressed every time someone offers you food if you eat every single one of those times then your weight will get out of control because it's it, this isn't about It moves beyond the realms of fueling your body to tackle your day and having the energy to approach your day. And it's just a case of every time this happens, I eat. And the more things you have on that list, the more times you have, the more reasons you have for eating, the more issues you'll have in your weight. Eating because other people are eating is just one more thing. Trying to match the portion sizes of other people is just one more thing you are then allowing other people's eating habits to dictate your weight, your energy consumption. And think about how mad that is. Imagine, it's like, especially when male partners are involved who naturally burn more calories than women anyway, but maybe they have more active jobs, maybe, maybe they're six foot five and you're four foot 11, 10, whatever. Um you know it's it's yeah it's a similar situation to saying like i make 2000 pounds a month and that person makes 4000 pounds a month and every time they buy something i go and buy it too the only difference is i'm getting into debt and they're perfectly fine because they make more money than me it's very similar when it comes to our calorie burns i sit down for 8 hours a day I sit down to drive to my work, I sit down to do my work, I sit down to drive home from work, and then I sit down at night. Versus my partner who works on a building site, up and down ladders all day. Manually moving his body for the entire day. Plus he's six foot five. he's burning around 3,500 calories a day. I'm burning around 2,000. If you then allow someone else to dictate your eating, then you get into debt, debt being gaining body fat. We can draw a lot of comparisons between finances and nutritional balance. Anyway, we'll wrap that up because this is getting on a bit and i try to keep it to 45 minutes. We're at 54. As ever, I hope that has been helpful. I would absolutely love to see people taking screenshots on this and tagging me on Instagram at Monroe underscore nutrition or even at the Monroe Method, the other page. Um, it increases my reach. It may, maybe means that new people will follow me. It may even mean that new people listen to this podcast. And again, because we have this weird thing where you can't leave like replies. To, uh, wh- why? How weird is that? That we can't le- we- leave replies to podcast episodes on like Spotify and stuff. There should 100% be a social element there. But yeah, if you are a member of the group, please do come back to the daily posts. Let me know if you've listened to any of these episodes. Let me know what you thought. If it was helpful. Um, or yeah, drop me a DM on social media, whatever it is enjoy I am wrapping up for the day and I am going to go and enjoy my weekend Um, and I'll see you back here again in two weeks time